You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Monday, the 17th of April, a bright, warm day here in TW11. The seasons are most definitively changing, and our attentions will switch, certainly in the UK now, full on to the beginning of the flat season in earnest, particularly with the Craven meeting upon us this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at Newmarket. Classic clues will be there, but the focus of today's programme must be on that dramatic Grand National. In some respects, painful. In other respects, most joyous. The winner for Lucinda Russell and Derek Fox was Korak Rambler. And he did this in fine, fine style, confirming himself a horse of great courage and great charisma. The race was delayed in the end by only 15 minutes, but it could have been much longer by the anticipated protesters from groups um, who named themselves Animal Rising and Animal Rebellion. These protests were foreseen and were shut down by Merseyside Police. Later in the programme, I'll be talking to Dick and White, the managing director at Entry Racecourse, about the logistical challenges in the minutes leading up to the race. It's uh, a most revealing and interesting uh, interview. Um, I'll also be talking to trainer Dan Skelton, who has his own views about how the race should proceed, and will bring you news about one of the horses that was injured in the race, Cape Gentleman. Of course, the headlines in the wider media have been, if not dominated, at least extremely cognizant of the fatality in the race. Hill 16, who fell at the first fence. Uh, five horses uh, came down at the first fence, or five uh, riders were no longer on their horses after the first fence, and four of those galloped loose. Two further horses fell at the second fence. So that has been the subject of significant scrutiny. David Yates is with me today from the, the Daily Mirror. A dramatic Grand National, David, engaging in many respects, difficult in, in many other respects, and one that has thrown up any number of debating points. Uh, first of all, how do you reflect on, on this year's event? In my own situation, you, you, you write your copy and then there's a, a, a journey south that normally takes about three, four, five hours. And during that time, you talk to your colleagues and friends and you also uh, reflect yourself on what you've just seen how it how how comfortably it sits with you um in terms of whether you enjoyed it and also one reflects on how it will sit with the wider world there were many aspects of saturday that one felt that the grand national was was dealt i think an unlucky hand and and the the visuals of the race obviously the protesters which which you know we we knew uh, that there was going to be a significant presence and they told us that they aimed to stop the race i think in one respect it was dealt a very lucky hand and that was in its winner i think that it was extremely lucky uh, that korak Rambler won the race, and that particularly Lucinda Russell, that she could give in the the moments after the race. You know, she, she told us that she had cried for much of the race, thinking perhaps of her father Peter, who passed away in January, perhaps thinking of uh, one for Arthur, who who died uh, in March, and and they'd um, spread some of the horses' ashes on the winning line. Uh, at Aintree, um, it was clearly a, a, a testing experience for her, and 
moments after the race, she's surrounded by half a dozen, probably 10 or so reporters with recording devices and the, the standard questions. And the fact that she gave such a uh, an eloquent and, and passionate and measured defense of horse racing, um, I think we were extremely lucky to get the winner that uh, we did. She she didn't she didn't resort to um uh, to extreme language or intemperate imagery when it came to um a- addressing the opponents of horse racing and the opponents of grand Na- of the grand national it was evident anyone who who deals with lucinda russell and, and peter scudamore we know that there isn't a mask that they put on for the public um it, they are genuine people um there was no veneer the um as she spoke after the race Korak Rambler was at the center of what she uh, said and i think you know certainly one thing that struck me with regard to one of one of the um one of the central pillars really of of the opponents of the grand national and of horse racing is that this activity is done for profit and not the 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 one million pound prize fund of the Randolph's Grand National could not have been further from the minds of Lucinda Russell, uh, Peter Scudamore, Derek Fox, any one of the the seven members of the Ramblers Syndicate. And as I say, there were there were there were many aspects of um, uh, of Saturday's race that that I would that I would change. But I think if you secretly the 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 opponents of of the grand national and of horse racing if they if 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 you could have said to them which result do you really not want and i think they probably would have said the the one we don't want is correct rambler well an awful lot of pressure on uh, executives at entry on saturday afternoon particularly in the moments leading up to the race and in quite a bit of the aftermath of the race dick and white is managing director. If you were watching ITV, you'll have seen shots of him coordinating proceedings uh, on his um, radio headset, uh, and he he joins me now. Uh, Dick, and just just talk me through the the sort of half an hour, if you like, or hour before the Grand National, leading up to it, and when you when you appreciated the the scale of the of the protest and 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 the and the sort of effect it was having. Uh, m- morning, it yeah. I mean, uh, throughout the morning on Saturday, we'd had various. Um, conversations with with the police, uh, Merseyside police, um, about activity that was taking place off the race course. Um, obviously, there was there was discussions around people that had been identified and arrested, again off site, uh, away from Aintree. So we were in close liaison throughout the morning with 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 what we would call our silver command. Um, and our bronze command officers who were here on site. Um, so I think you know the police were were, uh, were were sort of working very closely with us on on intelligence, and that that seemed to be going very smoothly. Um, obviously, we were aware that something was potentially going to happen. Um, we'd, we'd, as we do every year, Nick, we we sit down and, and create a robust plan for security, working both with Merseyside Police but also with our own security providers. And I think they have done a fantastic job of leading up to the event. Um, and you know, we'd we'd enhanced in a, a number of areas, identified a couple of weak spots, shall we say, around the site. Um, but you know, that, that that half an hour thing sort of stepped up. We had a call from. Uh, again, I had direct conversation with um, Merseyside Police regarding 
what was what was happening. We were aware of a number of protesters who were um, off the race course who were trying to use ladders and and as we've seen other ways of getting onto the race course and, and there were a significant number of them. Um, but I think Merseyside Police managed it alongside the, the you know, the, the security teams who were out there on the far side of Melling Road, but also um, our own ground staff supported. So there was a, a, a rear guard action from everyone getting involved, trying to avoid it. But they were very well organised. As I say, they, they, they'd got bolt cutters, they'd got ladders, they'd got every means of getting onto the race course and um i think that the team developed a, a great plan and, and that worked very exceptionally well shall we say on saturday okay so you, there were 118 arrests do you know how many protesters there were in total and how many actually managed to breach the uh, the perimeter fence and get onto the course um my understanding was i mean we don't know the exact number of how many there were but there were certainly more than that around the race course um there were other pockets in other areas so even though some came from the far side of the race course um which is public area so we knew that that was always going to be a, a potential challenge for us because there's public footpaths in that play in, in those areas so um we were aware that that uh, could be there could be one of the sort of target areas um but there was also a number of people who got into some of the public enclosures who then um um, I mean, a number were apprehended before they got anywhere near the race course, um, but there were also a number who um, did actually penetrate um, on got onto the race course. It was a very, very low number, very, in, you know, and they had dressed, they, you know, they weren't dressed, uh, they were dressed almost like race goers, should we say? Um, yeah, so they, they weren't wearing the pink t-shirt. So, sort of a, so, know, so, so one or two of those who actually got onto the track were actually coming in, you know, they were, they were undercover Punters, basically, rather than rather than people protesting from outside the perimeter fence. Absolutely, right. absolutely, yeah. So you know, and again, our team uh, did a fantastic job identifying them and, and removing those from the race course very, very quickly. So um, you know, I think um, I, I was really proud of the way everyone came together as a team. You know, we'd got a plan in place, but the way we delivered that plan was exceptional. And you know, the police, I just got so much admiration for them. The the effort they'd put in. The, the, the relationship we've got with them, but also the communication throughout the morning. So, as I say, this wasn't just for the sort of half an hour before the race. This had been going on all morning. Um, and our team, you know, just delivered um, what needed to be delivered. So, in that respect, even though we were jittery, were you completely confident, given what you knew, that that race was going to go off at some reasonable time on Saturday evening? Uh, I th- yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I was just very determined to ensure that we'd got all the information and that we were working together to collectively come up with a a decision. So, you know, um, for the half an hour before the race, I was in direct control, uh, direct contact, should we say, with our our head of operations who was sat alongside the police and all the other emergency services. Um, We were, you know, talking to each other. There were lots of other things going on behind the scenes as well as the demonstrators, as there are when you're running a massive event with millions of people watching in this country and millions around the world and 70,000 people on site. So there's lots of other challenges taking place, which the team worked and delivered admirably. But it was, yeah, it was, it was, I had confidence, yes. I, I, was, I knew that we had a, a responsibility for 
you know, for, for horse racing to, to really try and get this event on, we were determined. But we, we wouldn't have done it to put anybody in, in lives in danger. We, we had to do it in a very safe environment. Um, and, you know, once we'd removed the protesters off the course, the small number who penetrated onto the race course, um, once we had we believe 100% control of all of the perimeter of the site. Um, I was confident that we could go and I had a, I had a conversation with the, uh, with the, 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 the police team that were directly in control on the race course. They said they were happy for it to be run. So we pressed, pressed the button and away we went. And um, yeah, we, we managed to get the race run, which, you know, again, as a team, we were all extremely proud of. Uh, then, of course, it, it all felt quite, quite hurried because you obviously had to catch up a a bit of time um do you think that that period of time between leaving the paddock and the start of the race was was too rushed do you think it was too long do you think it was i mean what when you reflect on that and you see the sort of helter skelter start to the race do you think what happened before it was played any contributory part in that um interesting watching from where i was watching everything sort of um happening I I had said actually I thought it was it seemed very calm I was um, alongside Saleh Kavama our head of racing here at Aintree who again I think just managed the whole race course side with exceptional talent and I've got so much admiration for the way that she was dealing with things Um, and I, I didn't feel as though it was rushed obviously that we we cut out a number of things that we would normally have prior to the Grand National itself. But, you know, the horses came out and everything seemed very calm. It was, you know, you've got to remember this is a, you know, a million pound horse race. This is a race that's, you know, broadcast around the world. And, you know, everyone is pretty, you know, animated. It's exciting. They want to win this race. It's it's a big part to be part of history to win, you know, the Grand National is, is exceptionally important to them. But, um, yeah, it, was, it didn't seem to be rushed from my point of view. But again, we will review that and look at it again and, and see what's, what can be done to improve things. But, you know, it was, it was you know, I think, again, the, the, going back to Seleka and the BHA, they were incredibly supportive and worked very closely with ourselves and, and all, let's say, with, with the police and all the security organisations oh. to um, to ensure everything ran smoothly. So I think we were incredibly aligned with where we were. There was nobody sort of working in little pockets and doing their own thing. We were all aligned and working exceptionally closely to get this race staged in as safe an environment as we could. And of course, you know how fine the margins are. If Hill 16 hadn't suffered a fatal injury at the first fence, there would have been people hailing the race as a as a great success. We don't even know the reason why he died because that, that post-mortem hasn't, hasn't come through, but there's been supposition as to what might have caused that and the fact that the trainer says he got a bit he got a bit hyper how do you as someone who is a you know a, a major part of of the of the guardianship of this race if you like reflect upon a, a fatality and reflect upon what people felt was an uncomfortable spectacle over the first two fences uh, yeah I, I think when you look back at it I mean you know the first thing I'd say is our priority at Aintree is to ensure that the welfare and the safety of, of, of everyone participating in all the races, whether it's the Grand National or any other races. So, you know, we we have put welfare at the forefront of everything we do here at Aintree, whether it's relating to horses, whether it's relating to jockeys. Um, so, you know, when when you when you have a situation like that, um, you always look back with with mixed emotions because you're thinking about what could we have done differently. You know, is there something that could have been done? Um, to, to avoid that you know 
listening to Sandy Thompson talk about that horse, you know, it it he'd run round Aintree twice before here. I don't think he'd fallen for, you know, twenty or so races in in his career. You know, it, it's you know there was nothing that says to you that oh, that horse should was not ready to run in a race like the Grand National um, but obviously there are mixed emotions you know we, the, the last thing we ever want to do when we stage any type of race here at Aintree is to, is to lose a horse you know people talk about being animal lovers I, I personally have got you know I love animals I've got two teenage daughters who've, who love animals you know it, it's it's very tough but um, yeah it, it's when we when we look back um, we, we, as we do after every Grand National meeting, not just every Grand National, but you know, we'll look back and, and see are there things that could have been done. You know, are, are there things that can be done to the Grand National to make it as safe as it possibly can be? But we would do that after every race, uh, every race meeting, mm. and um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll sit down in the next few days and and, and commence that process. And uh, finishing where we started, Dick, and in terms of securing the site. Um, have Merseyside Police made any recommendations to strengthen that uh, that court? And I know it's very difficult with uh, such a huge perimeter area. Uh, not at this stage, but again, we will sit down with them, I'm sure, either later this week or over the next two or three weeks. Um, but, but all I can say is that throughout the whole process, the whole planning process for the last 12 months, you know, and it, it is a 12-month process, but they have been absolutely exceptional. You know, the communication, the relationship we have with them is just absolutely, you know, brilliant. And, I'm, you know, I'm so proud of what they've delivered as a, as a you know, to, to ensure this race went on because I'm, without their support, without their their direct input I'm, I'm, I'm sure we would have struggled but you know as I say it wasn't just what was happening here on the site it was what was happening off-site which was causing challenges stepped up to the plate and you know Aintree uh, the jockey club British racing should be you know incredibly proud of what Merseyside police did for this race Dick and White there, the managing director of, of Aintree Racecourse and it's a different perspective and an important one as well Dave because he was the personal with Saleka Varma. They were the people who who actually were being able to communicate with all the relevant authorities and and knew the scale of the danger to the race. Let's be honest about it. There's no doubt that this was at least a partial victory for um, protesters and for Animal Rising on Saturday, and they will be emboldened and encouraged by the level yeah. of success they did get. And the, obviously the race took place, but it was delayed by uh, 14 and a half minutes. Um, th they will be back next year. There's no question in my mind about that. And so there will be changes that are necessary to certainly to the, the fencing to entry um, out in the country. Given the scale of what uh, was attempted on Saturday, then the, the security teams and Merseyside police did an incredible job in limiting the quote-unquote damage to a, a 14 and a half minute delay. Much has been made about the the need to um, not win over, but the need to uh, reassure the the middle ground, people with no strong views either way. They're neither supporters of racing nor are they antagonistic towards it and um it, it might just be worth reflecting here dave on on comments from the rspca and, and world horse welfare uh, world horse welfare have said uh, whilst it's true that accidents can happen anywhere 
Uh, it's clear to us that despite the changes made by Aintree in racing to date, much more needs to be done. In practical terms, this is an urgent reminder of the need to bring work on the jump race risk model to the fore. The model's a key tool to help inform how to make this and other jump races safer. Progress on this project has not been quick enough and needs to change now that racing has an agreement in place with the Royal Veterinary College to help take it forward. Overall, the types of questions that need to be considered are a number of runners, how to reduce the number of fallers, how to better manage loose horses, and how to better manage the start, all of which Dickon touched on there in his interview. Whilst the RSPCA's rhetoric was subtly different, well, not so subtly different to, to how it has been in past years, to what extent are organisations that are uh, much more mainstream, have much more mainstream respect and regard throughout the world, no longer critical friends of the sport, but simply critics of it? Well, I think that uh, I've said this a number of times, particularly with regard to the RSPCA, that they said that the changes, uh, that further changes must be made so that we never again exit a single quotation marks festival of racing with three dead horses. Now, I I've made the point in the past, particularly with the RSPCA, that there was a time uh, half a century ago when the RSPCA was the only charity that was looking out for broadly animal welfare now of course um they they have rivals in that area animal aid peta obviously i don't know that animal rising is a charity but it is is more of a pressure group i i guess um and so um they are in a more competitive environment these days and and it's my belief that over the last decade their their language has been ramped up as a as a result of that with regard to um what more must be done we're getting into a situation if we were to um if we were to reduce the number of runners say from 40 to 30 mathematically um then one would one would expect incidents to come down by 25% but there will still be incidents there's there in a 30 runner grand national would we eradicate uh injuries to horses and jockeys would we eradicate career ending uh, ending injuries to horses would we eradicate equine fatalities the the answer to that is no i do think that events leading up to the race i think i think it's likely that that had an effect on uh, the horses themselves that 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 is a matter for conjecture it has to be it can't be a matter of fact um it, it also would would beg a response from racing's opponents well if you were that worried about the horses why didn't you withdraw them and i i fear in that sense that it's checkmate uh, there's a second response with regard to the the early exchanges the way that the race unfolded early on i think that that was uh, a, a direct consequence of the fact that there was a real urgency to get this race off and to get it off as soon as possible. In, in that respect, is it worth looking at the 5.15 timing? We know that this is going to happen in the future and perhaps an earlier start time would at least give a little bit of breathing space. Obviously, the the, the host broadcaster was, would, would have something to say about this, I know. But would it be worth looking at that to think, right, well, we, we might have to build in a... 15 to 30 minute delay in the next couple of years and so as a result perhaps just to give ourselves a bit of breathing space when it comes to making sure that that we can we can breathe before before the runners are sent on their way maybe it's perhaps worth looking in that respect to just bringing it forward slightly i wonder will there or should there be any material changes to to the grand national 
Chester Williams is a, a jockey whose career was cut short by injury at the back end of, of last year and is now very much involved in his mother Jane's successful training base uh, in South Devon and, and joins me on the line now. Uh, Chester, you're, you're a pretty keen observer uh, of the race, of the fences, uh, very much committed to wanting it to, to survive. What was your reaction to, to Saturday and, and what would you advocate moving forward? I found Saturday fairly difficult to watch. I found it was it was a fairly chaotic race, and I've spoken to people that are outside the completely outside the racing bubble. So some of my friends who don't have is the sort of one race they watch every year, and and they just described it as chaos, and it was sort of mayhem. It was just sort of difficult to defend, really. You know, we're doing all this about the whip, and actually, horses dying is is much worse when there could be things that could be done to save it, possibly. So what what would you advocate? You know, from from your standpoint, um, what would you advocate to to make the race a a more uh, appealing spectacle? Um, well, the first thing I'd do, I would probably move the start closer to the first fence. Obviously, the top of and the fox fences start. Um, I sort of counted roughly. I sort of said it was about seven seconds between the start and the um, and the first fence and. And the national is about 16 seconds. So in 16 seconds, horses do take time to accelerate. They're not they're not instantly at their top speed. So they were going faster by the time they reached the first in the national. Uh, however, what that doesn't cater for is the the amount of horses, does it? I mean, because because most of those most of those unseats or falls at the first couple of fences were caused by what seemed to be bunching and horses being unsighted. Yeah, that's the problem. I, I, I mean, uh, the, the obvious solution is to have less runners, but I don't massively feel that um, that less runners is the answer because actually there was grouping, but that's because everyone was sl- sort of based towards the inside rather than the outside. And I saw maybe, I think it was Harry Cobden, he just wanted to get the front rows. He just went wide and got to the front immediately. Um, so clearly there were more horses towards the inside and, I mean, I think the fen- the fences over the first six, they're really wide. I think they're wider than the, than the first fence in the top end. So they're equally tightly bunched in the top end, the Fox Hunters, as they are in the, um, as they are in the National. But there's more... I think everyone sort of slants towards the inside now, given the fences are smaller. So it means there is more grouping. Point. Chester, one final point you made. Uh, you suggested the idea of a practice fence. Uh, like they they that they have in France. What sort of benefit do you think that would have? Quite funny. We've had horses that do struggle with um, the do struggle with the first because they're not warmed up. And actually, in France, a lot of the time, if you watch the French racing, it can just warm them up and and get them into the zone. And having getting over the first is the difficult. And if you actually took away the first being the difficulty and actually made it the first jump, they jump a practice jump on the way to the start that would possibly help them and warm them up. And it, it works very well in France. And actually, I've ridden in France a few times. And actually, jumping a practice jump, often they are a bit cold and, and things. So it would hope having a practice jump would potentially reduce um, injury, like reduce fallers, because they would be slightly more warmed up. And you know, the first is always a problem. Well, trainer Dan Skelton uh, had two important winners at, at Aintree on Saturday. also had Lamilos complete the Grand National, and spoke beforehand in the paddock while we were in the middle of uh, some pretty uncertain moments before the 
the the situation was was resolved. Dan's with me now. Dan, just with a, a day and a half or so to reflect on on Saturday's events. Yeah, you know, how do you feel the sport is placed as as regards this race and national hunt racing moving forward? I think first thing to say is when you say about the uncertainty on the day, I, I don't actually think there ever was any uncertainty. Um, and I know as a, as a broadcaster, you had to sort of put across what the potentials could be here. And you, I, I think it was you who mentioned there was a contingency in place to even run the race on the Monday. But as a competitor in the arena that day, none of us ever felt like the race wasn't going to go off. Um, we felt like we were very well looked after, very well briefed. The situation was under control by the officials at Aintree and also the Merseyside police. And even more importantly, in the end, the people of Merseyside themselves, who um, you know came to our rescue at a, at a number of occasions and, and, and cleared the course and the surrounding area of protesters. And that shows you the strength of support that... Aintree has as a venue, as as the host of the Grand National and, and probably as the Grand National itself. I think there's a great amount of support out there. Um, I think in answer to your main question, we are, you know, to coin John to his coming, <laughs> you know, there's, we've got to stop arguing inside the walls because there's a bigger threat outside of the walls. Um, that threat's always been there. It's now it's now become even more real and, and very much on the door. What we must remember about this threat, though, is he's a minority. These are an extremist group. These are not the middle ground. I think um, uh, Lee Mottershead did a great article talking about the middle ground. We're never going to appease these people who, you know, probably don't even want collars on dogs. That's the type of person that, that, that doesn't want the Grand National. Um, the middle ground, I think we, we need to continue, and I don't say we need to start showing them how well we do as an industry, because we always have done and continue to do so. What we have to do is highlight the fact um, of how we look after these horses and how much care they get, the, the decision to bring them into the world uh, from, from, from a breeding perspective, how we care for them after racing. Because don't forget, way, way, way more horses retire from the sport and go on to do something else than are you know than than are than are fatally injured doing the sport. Um, I think we are pretty good custodians, um, and I you know I'm 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 not ashamed to talk about the unfortunate situation that has led to horses dying on on the track. It happens. We're we're not shying away from that. But I'm what I'm also not ashamed of, and I will stick up for the good boys, girls, men, women who work in the sport. Uh, at all different levels, not least of all on the ground on a day-to-day basis, mucking out these horses, spending nearly every waking hour with them, loving them, caring for them. You know, it is not right that almost they have to doubt what they're doing. They are doing a fabulous job looking after these horses. And I think that as an industry, we've got a big warning shot across our bowels the other day. But what a great response to it. How many people have come out in support of us, of that race, and we've got to embrace that now. We can't squabble amongst ourselves. There's too much of that going on, too much of that's been going on for too long, and the bigger threat is outside of the walls. What about the actual race itself and the mechanics of the race? A lot of attention, and understandably so, on on five horses without jockeys jumping the first fence. So one, one horse fatally injured and four others galloping loose, and then two further fallers at the second fence. And thereafter not all that much 
incident relative to a, a usual running of the race. So what what can we draw from that, do you think? And is there anything we can do to to minimise uh, an, un, an, un, an undue uh, amount of difficulty over those first couple of fences? Um, well, actually, I was talking to Harry, brother who rode in the race, obviously. He didn't think they went all that quick. Um, they thought he thought everyone rode very sensibly. Obviously, the melee um, at Valentine's, um, where Jesse Harrington's horse got carried out, um, that wasn't particularly pretty viewing. But everybody was safe and sound after that incident. Going back to what you say about the first couple of jumps, Sandy Thompson has an opinion that the build-up, the the stressful build-up to the race, caused his horse to be unusually stressed. A horse that's never fallen. He's has, this horse has a history of never falling. And then all of a sudden it falls at the first. Um, Sandy's words, not mine, but there is some facts to back up Sandy's words, um, which is which is slightly concerning for those who have caused the, the delay. Um, I don't know how you make the first couple of fences safer. In a different, at a, at a, at a different Grand National, they jumped the first three without incident. Um, there are going to be racing incidents, um, and that's what the Grand National brings. If there's a if there's a magic formula to make those first couple of jumps safer, let's find it. Let's and when we find it, let's embrace it. Let's certainly not dust dust off this and say, well, there's nothing to be learned from it. There's always something to be learned. But what we need is a reaction, not an overreaction. An overreaction will do nothing for anybody. We need a reaction. And I think that there's a lot of people who recognise how important that race is to the whole industry and how important it is to make it as safe as possible and ultimately keep it. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to keep that race. That race is under threat. Make no mistakes, that race is under threat. But what we all recognise is that we will do our best to make sure it stays there and stays as safe as possible. That was Dan Skelton. Uh, and he as he did before the Grand National, Dave, is it expressing the views of of the professional in in a in a pretty um assured and measured way. That that style has been has been revered over the last few days. And stand up for racing a a group that's been put together by uh, Kevin Blake and by um Sally Ann Grassic and Kathy Grassic and Quiva Doherty uh, has uh, has had some some notable exposure uh, trying to just put out you know measured calm facts to counter uh, the the antagonism towards the grand national and horse racing as a whole uh, and uh, this is this is very laudable what what concerns me is that racing becomes part of the culture wars that it that it becomes fodder for uh, rolling news channels who need uh binary and aggressive uh, arguments and 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 horse racing and the, and the treatment of animals is just perfect for that and, I, and i'm concerned we don't fall into that trap yeah i agree with that i think that um graham cunningham wrote a a very good piece on sportinglife.com ad- addressing the the or, or, or referencing the presence at entry on on saturday of nigel farage and and i, I did see a uh, a, a piece on Twitter with uh, Richard Richard Tice um, talking to Alex Lockwood. I think that's extremely important. I, I think that the the best way that uh, racing can do that, and and I think you're absolutely right that stand up for racing has made a very good start in that respect. I think when it 
um when it comes to the, there are, again there are two aspects to this aren't there there, there is uh there is countering the argument of racing's opponents and there is also uh, doing what we can to assure people in the middle ground, the undecided, the don't knows, the floating voters, um, that that horse racing is a an ethically defensible sport and that the Grand National is an ethically defensible race. With regard to uh, addressing racing's um, opponents, I think it's extremely important. It, it's absolutely vital that they, that we avoid at all costs the sort of ad hominem approach in this. It, it, in in the old fashioned, uh, to quote an old fashioned uh, phrase, to not to to play the ball, not the man. If you see what I mean, the fact that um, the the fact that um, many people outside Aintree on Saturday look and behave and consume differently compared to the people who are inside the race course is of it must be of no relevance whatsoever that we have to uh we have to counter their arguments we don't have to comment on their lifestyles and i think that when you're talking about broadening this out into a culture uh into this this being some sort of cultural trophy that we're that we're battling over um i think that the danger is that when you make it um, a sort of ad hominem approach, then I think that that is a road that we must resist at all costs. With regards to the middle ground, um, I think we have to uh, we have to look at the sort of barometer of public opinion every year. We have to look at the people who attended Aintree Racecourse, the numbers in terms of betting, the numbers in terms of um, of of television and radio and and the newspapers as well um and that will give us a guide as to where the what the court of public opinion says i i did listen to um and i'm sure many people watch the exchange between alex lockwood of animal rising and kevin blake on talk tv and there was one element in that when alex lockwood said you know we're we're winning the uh the the battle of public opinion and of course kevin was able to um knock that back straight away to say you know you, you're anticipating 300 protesters uh, protesters the race is going to be watched by between five and six hundred million people worldwide but obviously that's something that we mm. we need to keep a um a constant view of to see uh, how the great how the ground the, the landscape is changing all right, quick update now on horses who were injured in the Grand National. Cape Gentleman, first of all. Shark Hanlon is with me now. Shark, he had surgery on that severed tendon yesterday. How's he doing? He's doing very well. Um, the clinic rang me last night and they sent me a photo with his head out over the door. Um, he's going to be a happy camper and it'll take a couple of months for to just settle down on that. But um, he, he will be 100% to, to go for a happy life. Um, I spoke to the American owner and he's going to leave him. I'm picking him up in a week's time or 10 days' time. And then he comes back to my place and he goes to America in six months' time just to, for a full retirement. He's going to be uh, very spoiled, hopefully, uh, over there with, with, with Pierre Manigo. He will be spoiled with Pierre because he loves his horses. He's a real horse man and he loves his horses. And it's great that uh, everything went in a way that the horse could be saved and everything. It cost him a few quid. But um, he's very happy to spend a few quid on him to save the horse.
Uh, I was watching the race again yesterday. Obviously, he was pulled up um, at the end of the first circuit quite quite sharply, but I noticed he got quite badly interfered with at the at the first fence. Do, do you do you have any idea where he got struck into? He got struck into. It's amazing. It wasn't a fence. He struck into himself uh, where he pulled up on the flat. Right. It wasn't. He jumped Britain the whole way. Um, he he never made a mistake the whole way. And even the one before he was pulled up, if you go back and look at it, he jumped at Brilliant. He jumped ever. He never made no mistake, and he just struck into him. Listen, he could have done this at home in the field. You know, um, that's the injury it is. Like it's not that it's over a fence or over at and he could you could let him out in the field and you go for a roll and get up and jump around and he could have hit himself this very same way. So like it has nothing really to do with the race. Positive news then from Shark Hanlon surrounding Cape Gentleman. Uh, David Yates, to round this edition off, we probably ought to cast forward and and try and work out, particularly in light of what I said about you know culture wars, about the the heat of this debate, about the importance of of shedding light and taking heat out of it, the extent to which this will rumble on as promised by Animal Rising and Animal Rebellion through the year. Well, we already know that some of the big races during the summer are going to be targeted uh, because. A, it's happened before, and B, they've told us so. Um, Ascot, Royal Ascot and the Derby uh, were both affected by relatively uh, brief protests on the track uh, in 2022. So we can expect the, um, the same this year. Um, just looking at the site at Epsom, I wonder to what extent uh, the, the challenges there are, um, are particular in that on the inside that is uh, common land and i'm i'm interested to uh, to see how how that's going to be pleased I, I think again looking forward in a in a broader sense i think that um it's extremely important that um racing adopts an open house policy um lucinda russell said both at the press conference and immediately after the the grand national on saturday that she she would like opponents of the sport, or indeed those who are ambivalent um, towards it, to uh, to visit her stables to see how the horses are uh, are cared for. So that transparency is 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 important. It was interesting that Nevin Truesdale of the Jockey Club uh, should invite Orla Coughlin uh, to again to to go to an open day. Uh, Orla Coughlin being a, a spokeswoman for um, Animal Rising to to attend. Uh, training premises and and stud premises again uh, to to witness at first hand the care that uh, thoroughbreds receive the language that's used with with regard to horses injuries w- there was the the phrase unrecoverable uh, which was used with regard to um, the, the the injuries suffered by Dark Raven and uh, Hill sixteen on Saturday I, I think we I, personally I would advocate a, a plainer use uh, of language. In that respect, and so that again, there's no there's no attempt to muddy the waters as to what happened factually, but that it, it's it's crystal clear what has happened. That again, while while we regret those injuries and those fatalities, uh, that racing is doing everything that it can to to uh, manage avoidable risk.
David, the action rolls on this week to, to Newmarket and the Craven meeting. Thoroughly looking forward to it. We'll be previewing it extensively through the next few days on the podcast and, and talking to some of the leading players. Uh, but just to tee us up uh, for a profitable week, do you have some advice for me for this Monday afternoon? I'm going to go to Kelso, um, not that far from uh, where the Grand National winner is trained. Uh, and it's in the 215 race, number 11, Coniston Clouds. This horse scored on handicap debut last time, goes up in trip. Again, I think that will trigger further improvement from the Nicky Richards trainee. And so it's Coniston Clouds, number 11, in a 215 race at Kelso. All right, Dave, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Monday, April the 17th. We'll be back to do it again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.